Hey, did you know that Two Girls Shooting the Shit is on Instagram and Facebook? We'd love to hear your feedback, episode suggestions, or just chat with you about life. So follow, comment, and share. A lot of times people think that PTSD is something that's only combat related and, you know, not realizing that there's probably a large percentage of the population that is walking around with some degree um, of, of PTSD. I love the coral. That's my favorite oh, color. Thank you. I know. Very beautiful. Pink today. Thanks. I love your chill beautiful. you got going on. Well, hey, you said hi to Krista. We have somebody back here today. Our former guest, Krista. Yeah, of course. Our friend to the podcast. That's right. Hello. Fan of the podcast. Gracing us again. Yes. Thank you. With her wisdom and knowledge. Right. Hey, my pleasure. So. <laughs> Well, we, um, I, I know I'm like just jumping on here, but Mo and I were, had been talking about a couple of things that have come up recently and then just kind of past stuff. And I was like, you know what? Krista knows a lot about PTSD. Yes. We should have her back on. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's what we wanted to talk about today. Um, I don't know, Mo, if you wanted to share anything, you know, to get it jumping or do you want me to share my story or? No, well, I just wanted to chat with Krista and just kind of get an understanding of what is PTSD, especially like the T. Can we get a little deeper into that and then go from there? Yeah, and you told us, Krista, that June is PTSD Awareness Month or something. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, well, I didn't know that either. I'm one of those people that's not always great about knowing like when a certain day is like National Donut Day or something until I, I see that just everybody passed. posting about it. But yeah, I know and I missed it. Um, but I did find out that you know, it's uh, post-traumatic stress disorder awareness month in June. Um, apparently the color, Emily, you're wearing it today is teal. So um, that's the color for it. You know, there's the ribbons, you know, that people put mm -hmm. on different things. And so um, teal is the appropriate color to wear. So good job. Ooh. But I think, you know, it's, it's just bringing that awareness about and it's appropriate because May was mental health awareness month in general. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in April is uh, military family month. So that's kind of interesting too. So it's almost like they all kind of go in order there. So lots of correlation and overlap. Um, I think one of the yeah. things that Mo and I were talking about earlier before you came back on is a lot of times people think that PTSD is something that's only combat related and, you know, not realizing that there's probably a large percentage of the population that is walking around with some degree um, of, of PTSD, obviously some things are more obvious than others. Um, you know, a lot of people have very subtle PTSD or they have what we call like complex PTSD. So it's, it's just the trauma has been compounded over the years, over and over and over again, starting maybe in early childhood and then going into adulthood. Um, so I think a lot of people don't realize it and they don't realize a lot of the ways that it manifests in their life every day. Can you talk about that? That yeah. how, how do you know if you have PTSD? Yeah, what is it? Yeah. Well, the basic criteria, right, is that at some point you were in a situation where you or yourself or somebody else was in danger. Um, and then that kind of stuck with you. So that can look like a lot of different things, right? So obviously, like I said, the first one that people think about that comes to mind is combat trauma, right? Um, but it could be domestic violence. You could have PTSD from domestic violence. Maybe you were the actual victim of the domestic violence or maybe you witnessed it. So we've got all these little kids running around, right? That have PTSD. Maybe nobody ever laid a hand on them, but they watched, you know, one parent hit the other parent. And yeah. so um, that's a problem. Um, maybe somebody died in front of them, you know, that can cause post-traumatic stress disorder too. Right. So, um, and then you have what you call like, um, environmental post-traumatic stress disorder. So maybe if you grow up in an environment, uh, like an inner city where there's a lot of environmental violence going on and you don't realize the toll that that takes on you, 
long-term. Different ways that it can show up, obviously the first way that we think of is, you know, loud noises, right? So Mm. um, I've got a little bit of PTSD going on from various situations in the past. You know, if I hear gunshots or anything that sounds like gunshots, you know, I'm, I'm going to hit the ground. It is what it is. And um, it's, it's one of those things though, where if I know it's happening, like Disneyland, okay. I know that at nine o'clock every night they do fireworks or they used to, I don't know if they still do with everything. Who knows? Um, If I know that, and I'm looking at my watch and I go, okay, it's nine o'clock. The fireworks are going to go off. I'm okay. I can front load myself a little bit. Um, there's been times that we've been at Disneyland. I've been coming off a ride, not even paying attention and the fireworks went off and I just freaked out, freaked out. Right. So yeah. that's more like it. Um, PTSD can manifest in a lot of different ways. So, um, you know, when people serve say overseas, right. I have had veterans that have served in say Vietnam or veterans who have served in the middle East and they're emotions will get triggered by seeing somebody here from those countries right you know so oh my gosh right but and and so ptsd can manifest in a lot of different ways you know it can cause things like subconscious bias you know and so all of a sudden you're afraid of certain types of people because you've had negative experiences in the past um what it's usually characterized by is an avoidance of something that reminds you, right? So um, say, you know, I have one client, she got in a car accident, right? So she's terrified to drive. Okay. So Mo and she I know about car accidents. <laughs> absolute avoidance of driving anywhere, you know? And so you have to work through those things. It may be an avoidance of a certain place, a certain situation. And so sometimes it's obvious. We know that we avoid these things, you know? And so it's like, Oh yeah. You know, my, my combat veteran buddy. Yeah. He's probably not going to go to concerts with me. I know this. He doesn't like big crowds. Okay. Well, sometimes it's not so obvious, you know, we don't understand because maybe people won't necessarily avoid it. They'll show up, but then they're grumpy the whole time. We can't understand why it's like they're anxiety ridden the whole time that they're there. And so they can't enjoy themselves. So sometimes that's what it looks like being aware of it. I think being able to talk about it more creates that awareness and, saying, oh, that's why I do the things I do, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. uh, also having awareness of how the brain reacts when we're in stressful situations. So a lot of times when we're in stressful situations, uh, we have what we call um, amygdala hijacking, right? And so what happens is your whole decision making and everything gets hijacked by your amygdala, which is back here. And it does not have a lot of, uh, let's see, the amygdala doesn't always make great choices, right? So that's where (laughs) the fight or flight response comes from, things like that. So what'll happen sometimes is people will lash out at other people or they'll run or they'll do things that they wouldn't normally do. And you're sitting there going, what the heck happened? Like, where did this come from? Well, it's that PTSD manifesting, right? You're not in your head, Mo. (laughs) like yes yes (laughs) I think it's just important to understand some of those things talk about them you know a lot of times when we've had scary things happen to us we don't want to talk about it right so but if we don't talk about it we can't work through it you there there has to come a point where a lot of the times I feel like if if it's not like combat I think everybody can say, hey, that would be traumatic. Like it's understandable that people leave that situation with sensitivities, with PTSD, with that type of thing. But I think one of the difficulties in speaking about um, PTSD or what's causing the PTSD is that sometimes it feels like I don't want to make a big deal about myself. Maybe it's not that serious of an event, you know, and Mm -hmm. people are like, oh, get over, you know, if it's something small, but to you, maybe it had like a huge impact. Um, So I think that it's hard to talk about those things if nobody else sees it as something that's been traumatic for you. Right. Right. And that's, that's where things like manipulation and stuff thrive, you know, manipulators thrive on people who maybe have been through stuff. Right. And they know that they don't want to talk about it. And so it's easier for them to be like, well, I'm the only one that understands you. You don't want to talk to people about it. And then the less Mm. you talk to people about it, it's just having this impact on you and it's weighing you down. You know, it's extra bricks in the backpack and then you're not getting any help. And that's kind of how they get their, their victims. If they, if you will, you know, they'll look for people who have you know, traumatic experiences in the past or things like that. And so it makes it really hard, but the more you open up and talk about it, 
the less power the past trauma has over you and the less power that other people have the potential to have over you because then they can't use that against you. Yeah. Ooh. Exactly. I, I agreed with what you were saying, like where you don't even know why, for instance, for me, if I hear loud noises or anything, uh, I'll take off, like I'm done. And uh, I remember we were at a parade in Brooklyn and there were some gunshots. And so as soon oh, as no. it started, they started shooting, I was gone. I didn't try to save Good. anybody. I was <laughs> Get out of there, girl. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so funny because people used to be like, why are you doing that? They're like, why are you hollering? Like, what's going on? Like, they would be annoyed by it. And I didn't know why I did. It's just a natural thing. And I didn't realize that was a trauma response, like a PTSD response. It's quite common your reaction to stuff. Um, mm -hmm. We got, Mo and I get into car accidents a lot, like when we're in the car <laughs> together. Um, and in what, 2012, March, 2012, we got rear-ended on the 405 and the lady, we were dead stopped because it's traffic in LA. And this woman rear-ended us going about 60, 70 miles an hour. Didn't stop, no skid marks on the freeway. I don't know if she was zoned out or what. And when I, I came to, I heard Monique going, get out of the car, get out of the car, you know? And I was like, I didn't know what was going on, but it's just, she gets like a really, like a big adrenaline. I don't know if that's part of your response, you know, to, uh, to things like that, that happen. But I feel like, yeah, she, she, she would get everybody out. So I can, I could picture you, like if they were shooting noises or something, getting the hell out of there. <laughs> People are always like, wait, I didn't know you could run like that. <laughs> like, bye. <laughs> yeah, well, your adrenaline kicks in, right? So that's that fight or flight thing. And you're no longer thinking about like, is it safe to run? Do I have appropriate footwear? Is there anything <laughs> in my way? It doesn't matter. You're just like, you're going. If there's something in your way, you're bulldozing over it. Um, and that is something that's really important to understand too, is when people have significant trauma, you know, literally or metaphorically, sometimes they will bulldoze right through something, you know, when they're in that heightened state. Um, and then the other thing about PTSD is it, it does take a toll, you know, long-term left unchecked and obviously depending on severity, it can take a toll on your body and stuff. I mean, you're, what happens, you know, when you're in an aroused state, your cortisol levels are higher, right? Stuff like that. <laughs> and all of these um, chemicals that our body has that are designed to get us to safety, it's always heightened. And so that changes your brain chemistry after a while. And it can also affect things like, okay, so that's heightened. Then you're not getting enough sleep, which also increases your cortisol levels because you're afraid, you're hypervigilant. Every noise is, you know, one eye open, what is that? And so long-term it can impact your physical health as well. You know, fibromyalgia, you know, it's a big, it's a big mystery, right? From a medical mm -hmm. standpoint, a lot of people don't understand where fibromyalgia comes from. Um, and they're just now kind of figuring out how to treat it. And even still, they don't really know how to treat it. They just mitigate symptoms. Right. But a lot of times when I'm talking to clients who have fibromyalgia, they also have significant trauma in their past. So, you know, you can't have one without the other, um, the body tensing, you know, I have clients who have chronic pain while they're driving around every day, hypervigilant, always on alert, tensed up. And then they're like, why does my back and neck hurt all the time? It's like, relax, you know, but they can't relax. You don't tell somebody to relax. They can't relax. You know, they're constantly on, on alert. alert. Yeah. And so you have to, I hate that so much. Like when you go to like a massage <laughs> therapist or something, they're like, relax. Or like, even like the, the nail shop, they're like, relax. It's like, I'm I not doing trauma. this on purpose. It's not like I'm like trying to, <laughs> you don't know my life. And that's why it's important to have, um, to have skills, you know, so treatment of PTSD, obviously one, you know, we have to say that it exists and this, these are some problems. We have to look at the ways that it's manifesting in our life. And then we develop some basic skills to get ourselves back in our correct part of our brain to function on a daily basis and to be able to separate the past from the present, you know, and that's, that's a key thing, right. Is, mm. um, if you feel like that bear that you've been running from that was attacking you 10 years ago is still attacking you 10 years mm. later, you know, when did you ever shut that off? You didn't. And then you've just compounded it. You've created more issues for yourself socially or for your health or whatever. And so it just gets worse and worse and worse. And so um, it can be a little hard at first to let go of some of that 
stuck because it becomes a safety for you. That hypervigilance, you know, becomes your safety and it also becomes your way of operating. Well, how do you just let go of that? It's, it's not a quick process. So it wasn't until this year that I figured out that, that that was part of why I never like people are always like, well, you seem like such an interesting person. Why have you never been in a relationship? And I didn't realize like, it terrifies me like the idea terrifies me like i don't feel like i can trust anyone i don't feel safe like i feel the threatened in all of these things that i didn't really understand and i would get defensive uh like when i would go on dates and things like that and i didn't realize what i was doing i didn't realize that i didn't feel safe and i already was coming in from a place of feeling inadequate and unsafe so that is not you don't have, no. that's not fun like you don't want to navigate in a in dating like that it's supposed to be fun so um but it took me this whole you know some people never figure it out like why like now i don't know what to do like i'm working on what to do next but i think figuring it out is a big deal like because it makes sense we were kind of talking about that earlier as well about other things how once you're able to put words to something once you're able to identify a problem you can start kind of understanding solutions versus like what is wrong with me like why am i doing this like no like this is not normal this is common this happens to people like but now i'm an adult like i can take ownership and how do i get out of this and get through absolutely. this absolutely I was actually, I was talking to a fellow widow friend of mine, a really close friend of mine, we're both widows, but um, I was talking about the fact that her and I both tend to look for things to nitpick in relationships or we sabotage things. And <laughs> I got called out recently on the fact that, you know, at some point you do kind of have to move on with your life. And I thought that I was moving on with my life and I realized I wasn't, you know, subconsciously I was keeping everybody just past arm's distance because what if I like you and you die, you oh, know? No. So I, once I had that epiphany and I said it out loud and I was talking to her about it, she was like, you're right, we do do that. And yeah. so um, I thought, you know what, what would happen? And if I just gave in to things that I enjoy and without fear of losing them, you know, if I just realized that yes, loss is a part of life, people die all the time. Um, and instead of being afraid of someone dying, I just actually just appreciate their presence in my life. And that was a huge turning point for me, but it was like a huge weight came off my shoulders when I realized what it was I was doing, you know, and I'm the therapist, I should know better. If it was happening in front of me, I would be like, oh, this is what you're doing. <laughs> And then I, I realized because somebody loved me enough to call me out on it. I was like, oh yeah, I do do that. Okay. So, you know, but it's, it's just that awareness. And once you have the awareness, then you can develop skills to deal with it. Then when I have those moments where I'm feeling the urge to just be like, you know what, this person said this and I don't like it. Screw them. They're out of my life. When I have that urge, I can say, okay, no, 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 no. This is my trauma rearing its head. And this is what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to tell this person right now, I'm afraid you're going to die. And they're going to look at me and go, I'm not dying. And I'm going to be like, I know, but you know, I've had this happen before. So when you start connecting, that's the other thing, you know, you, all the experiences that we have, they get connected inside of us, good or bad. Right. And so when you start having really amazing things like love connected to really awful things like death or abuse or whatever, all of a sudden after a while, you can't separate them, right? And so that's where the PTS manifests. Sometimes Emily asks like, what does that look like? Sometimes it looks like you just not wanting anything good in your life because all of a sudden the good things feel bad because they've been connected to bad things, you know, whether it be, you know, somebody dying unexpectedly, or like I said, the abuse or whatever. And so you start to equate those two things together without even realizing it. And so that's where therapy can be important because we can separate that. Um, there's different ways to do that. You know, therapy, uh, we've got, what do they say? Like a hundred ways to skin a cat, right? So you know. <laughs> don't skin the cat. Hey, speaking of cats, it's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking about it and, and Emily can tell you that when I used to, it was just until maybe last year or, or this year that I stopped, like every time I would come home, I would think my cats were dead. I was like, that's it. They're dead. Like, and I would just be scared that I forgot to do something and they hurt themselves or they ate a plant. And I would just be so worried about them all day. 
and I didn't even want to leave them and kind of like it was comforting when the pandemic came because then I could be with them and like I could know that they were okay but that's it's just the mom like, life I know that's <laughs> your cat mom I was gonna life. say you're really gonna have our time your kid though <laughs> that's that's mom life <laughs> yeah yeah it is and you know giving into the surrender it's hard but that really is kind of the cure for a lot of things to just recognizing how little you really have control over but when you have PTSD you're constantly in a state of trying to control everything. And it's like, that does not work. Like, uh, how am I supposed to live my life then? Oh, yeah, goodness. exactly. So, you know, and that, um, you know, I mean, it can come out in a lot of different ways. You know, I mean, sometimes it's unhealthy ways. Obviously, you know, we think PTSD, we think of that guy that like drives too fast and is reckless or this and that and the other. And it's like, that's not always the case. You know, I've, I've had clients with PTSD that became extremely controlling over finances. Right. So it's like, okay, that's how their PTSD manifests. Um, I have another one I realized a few weeks ago, it's her grades. You know, she has to have these perfect grades and be an overachiever because otherwise everything in her life life is going to slide into chaos because she's young and that's the only thing she has control over is I can get straight A's so Mm. control is like a major like that's a major I'm trying to think I mean Monique brought up something um with the cats and I immediately (laughs) thought of like just motherhood right and then and I feel like motherhood is just full of trauma like there's always something going on a fear your child chokes you know they're starting to eat for the first time um, this past week, and this is what prompted the PTSD conversation with me and Mo, um, I was at a birthday party for my daughter's best friend and, um, it was a swimming party. My daughter doesn't know how to swim. And so she's like the only kid in the life jacket. And I'm very, I'm, I'm a helicopter mom because I'm so anxious all the time. And I'm always like, I just have to be there. And everybody left the pool and I saw something behind a floaty bobbing up and down. And when I finally realized it was a child, I dropped all my shit ran over there and pulled him out and adrenaline was rushing. Uh, there was a doctor there. Eventually he came to long story short. He's okay. Thank God. But like, I immediately after, you know, a couple minutes after I just broke down and I was like, I have to leave. I'm sorry. Like, and we left and I just cried the whole rest of the day and I just keep seeing him in the pool. Like, and it's just like a, a thing. And so I was like, Oh gosh, like, is that like, you know what I mean? Like, could that be PTSD? What does PTSD look like? Um, but it's, I feel like as a parent, you're going to experience those types of things over and over and over again. And so it's just, I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like, how do you, how do you live? <laughs> like, how do you live? It is, so. it is hard, you know, and I, I think I talked to you about um, maybe last time I was on the show, I think we talked about the fact that like, you know, sending your kids back to school after the pandemic, like how yeah. I didn't realize that was going to be like such a huge stressor for me. And then it really was. And, um, we got through that. Okay. But my daughter goes to a private school that is very locked down tight Mm -hmm. and I feel very safe there. And it's right down the street from my work. And so I feel safe there and I got through that. I was okay. Well, then I had to put her in a program for the summer with people I don't know. Yeah. So no control. Nobody there, you know, I, there's other programs in town that she has friends that go to and so I would have felt okay because like they've the kids have been there and I it gives me some credibility or something I didn't know these people you know and I didn't know anybody that went there and I dropped my child off with them and they are doing like field trip after field trip and so I'm like the first day I dropped my (laughs) child off they're driving her to Irvine are you kidding me right now oh my gosh that's a field trip uh, well yeah because they took him to the little there's like a little zoo there no (laughs) permission But I just, I mean, I was on edge all damn day. Yeah. Like I could yeah. not focus. And, you know, my boyfriend was like, baby, you just, you know, you, there's nothing you can do about it. You're, she's having fun. You just gotta yeah. like pray about it and realize, you know, it's in God's hands, you know, and yeah. whatever. And I was like, I know that I still have a little <laughs> thing with, you know, between, you know, the strength of my faith and, and my past trauma when it comes to my kid, especially, you know, so yeah. it's something I'm working yeah. through. Right. But, yeah. but I think everybody goes through that on some degree, you know, it's like you can exert control and you feel okay in certain ways, but in those areas where you get so crazy and you absolutely cannot handle it anymore that's where you know that that's where the work still needs to be done a little Mm -hmm. bit is releasing Mm -hmm. those parts you know because I mean what are you gonna do you're never gonna let go swimming again 
right? You know, right? I mean? Not unless I, I told her, not unless I'm there. And you know, I mean, it prompted us. It prompted us to enroll her and the other two in swimming. So we're being vigilant about that. We get in the pool as much as we can. Like it's, it's just. I mean, it's one of many fears that I, I just, I have like Ally McBeal, like this old, I'm old, <laughs> that show where she would have these like vignettes that would play in her head. Like, I swear I have that of all the things that could go wrong and swimming is just one of them. Right. But it's just, you know, I, I feel a, a responsibility, like a, I don't know if it's normal, but just a responsibility, you know, like Mo with her cats. Those are your babies. You know, we have to, yeah. we're responsible for them. So um, yeah, I don't know. Well, and the way forward is a getting yourself some good coping skills it, to help yourself in those moments, calming down, you know, that's the mindfulness, the breathing, you know, being able to get yourself back into your prefrontal cortex and make decisions that are actual rational decisions um, and, and thinking long-term. And then, you know, the other piece of it is focusing on actual locus of control, not unhealthy control, but actual locus of control. What can you actually do? You know, prime example is what you just said, right? You're going to get the kids in swim lessons, that sort of thing. You know, not to say that accidents still can't happen. Right, I mean, right. I know. I put my daughter in <laughs> swim lessons when she was really little and she's an awesome swimmer. That doesn't mean that I just ignore her when she's out by our pool. Absolutely. Like, right. I'm still on right. it. I just, I can relax a little, I can, you know, and she's older now, she's nine now. So, you know, I feel a little bit more confident, but I can read and watch her. I don't feel like I have to stand over her with one hand on her back anymore, you know? Right. So, um, baby steps, baby steps, <laughs> you know, getting through some of those things, you know, um, when we were both training martial arts, I felt a lot safer. And I realized that us quitting martial arts has, has reawakened some of my past trauma fears you know because I love I don't the videos feel... that you would post <laughs> I was like this I know, girl's bad ass so much, you know? <laughs> and I felt so much better when she was training too and now she's like ah, I do gymnastics I'm like you can't kill anybody with gymnastics what are you gonna do backflip away from them like you know but <laughs> but I also had to realize that oh, she's in the back here uh, she had headphones and I think she was hearing me but I had to realize somewhere along the way that I couldn't let my fears impede her ability to be who she wants to be as a person. Yeah. And that that's where the trauma gets passed down generation to generation. Yes. Right. Mo, we talk about generational curses. That's, yep. that's, you know? that's big. And that's, that's part big. of it. So I had to realize somewhere along the way that the best way for me to overcome my fear of ever losing her was to empower her to take care of herself because I can't oh, always gosh. be around, yeah. you know? And I think that what do we do a lot of times, right? We helicopter parent our kids and then we push them out into the world and then they're terrified yeah. and they fail because they're like, I was never told that I could take care of myself. I was always told that somebody had to take care of me. And yeah. it's like, the better thing is to teach them to make decisions, you know, and it's almost become a joke because, you know, she's such an animal lover and I'll be like, all right, you're going on this field trip. What if somebody has a puppy? And she's like, I don't go look at it. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> even if I want to, and it's really cute. <laughs> yes. You know, but you, you have those conversations with them and, and not from a fear place, not like, oh my gosh, the world's awful. Just, Hey, the reality is yeah. there's some scary people in this world. They like to hurt cute little girls and boys unfortunately and they're not always reason. monsters too they can be the uh, they can look just like another mom yep no. well that's i think that's one of the things uh good or bad that's happened through the last year year and a half is there's been so much going on a pandemic um racial whatever you want to call it um the uprising or whatever you want to call that on G on January 6th, like all this stuff. And I've been really open with my daughter at least because the other two are just way too young to know anything. Yeah. But just, you know, she's gotten, this is the world we live in and not to make her scared, but she's had to grow up quite a bit in the past year and a half, um, you know, cause you can't really hide a pandemic from a seven-year-old, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's really prompted a lot of conversations that maybe wouldn't have happened if we didn't live through this past year and a half, so. I think that these kids are, are really some tough kids. Um, and they're learning a lot more than we had to at that age. So, yeah. Yeah. Which is a sad thing, but I also, you know, one of the things I do tell young people when they come into therapy is you're going to be so much better off than I was. Cause you're learning these things at 14, 
instead yeah. of at 34 or 41 <laughs> or 75, you know? Yeah. So I think that if you can get these skills and use them every day, um, you, you'll have a better quality of life, you know? And one of the things, um, Dan Siegel, he's, he's kind of like the godfather of attachment therapy is a psychologist or is a psychologist. He's still alive. Um, but one of the things that he was saying in a training that I attended one time was that, um, whether or not bad things happen to people is not necessarily a predictor of whether or not they're going to be okay in life. So kids can be exposed to bad things. What it really has to do with is how the people around them frame those things mm. and whether or not they feel like they have the skills to get through them. So, you know, if we completely freak out, you know, going back to the situation with the pool, right? You know, if you completely freaked out and you were like, see, this is the problem. Pools are unsafe. This, not the other, your kids are going to grow up to be like, oh my gosh. And they're never going to learn to swim. And then their kids aren't yeah. going to learn to swim. And then you have no Olympians in your family. Right. You know, so, Darn. Um, darn it. but if you, you know, if you talk to her and say, see, this is why, you know, this is why I look out for you guys. And this is why we have to be safe. And this is why we have to be careful, like how many float floaties are in the pool and things like that. Mm -hmm. If you explain to them and give them a sense of, you know, some kind of control over their environment, they're like, okay, things yeah. are not out of control. Like that was a scary situation, but the adults do have it handled. And there are things that I can do to keep myself safe. And we, we teach them those things, right. You know, which I think is what I really liked about having her in martial arts. So young, we started when she was four. Well, she did feel a little bit like, you know, she knew how to get somebody's hands off of her or whatever. And even though she hasn't trained in over a year, she does still have a lot of those reflexes and that sort of thing. So, yeah. You know. Hey, Mo. Hey. <laughs> I don't know. She's so quiet over there. What do you think? I know. Yeah, no, I'm just listening, just taking it in. Everything, like I said, everything you said makes sense. It's all like I completely understand like the hypervigilance and things like Emily's hypervigilance and things like that like these are all things that you don't think about like you don't you're just thinking that's you I mean it is in a way it is you but understanding and um for me I know one of the things and, and I think I don't know I don't remember if we talked about it the last time um but one of the things that helped me to start understanding was EMDR, so mm -hmm. I move what it's called, yeah. eye movement desensitization, desensitization and reprocessing. Processing, yep. Yeah, and yeah, you brought that up last time. I remember. And that really helped me because it helps you to kind of understand why you think what you think. Like they kind of just keep repeating things to you and you get this like, I, I think I had something on my thighs and like a, something in my hand that would vibrate and I'm looking at these dots and stuff. And I mean, it felt stupid at the time and I thought it was just some uh, BS, but it actually, <laughs> you know, it takes time. But I, once you go through it and start do, doing it and start working with it, it unlocks, I don't know the science behind it, but it really does. Like it, it, I think it mimics like rapid eye movement, art rapid, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but you start realizing, oh, this is why I have this negative belief about myself. This is why like, okay, now I can start working on that. And, and some things like I used to hate walking down, like walking alone. I still do so, to some point, but I'm much better at it now. But I would feel so threatened. I couldn't just, I couldn't do it at all. Now I'm fine, but I realized why, like I got down to why through a series of weird exercises um, that worked out. So um, yeah, that was, that was my experience. It was great. No, oh, that's good. And I love EMDR. So I'm glad that you can like be a, a what's the word I'm looking for, a testimony to the method, the protocol, because it really is awesome and it's life-changing. And um, the cool thing about it is once you've gone through it, it's not to say that you're gonna be cured forever and you're never gonna need to go through it again. But once you have gone through it and cleared stuff out, if things pop up later down the road, you can always go back into it. And a lot of times you, not always, but a lot of times you won't need necessarily as many sessions to clear out channels. Um, because it's connected to old stuff. So a lot of times you can cut through it a lot faster. Um, so I've had clients who were referred to me specifically because I, I am trained in EMDR therapy and their insurance companies know that I provide it because it's listed on my 
provider thing. And so a lot of times if they've already been through it, I may not see them for very many sessions, but it's like they moved, you know, or their therapist is no longer in business or whatever happened. And so they need somebody else. And so they come in and they do the EMDR and it's like a few sessions and they're good to go. Um, that's not always the case, but usually it is. And so um, it, it is a good protocol. It works really well. And it, ev the evidence behind it is just pretty solid. You know, they've, they've done a lot of studies on it next to cognitive behavioral therapy. It's probably the most evidence-based protocol out there right now. So what do you have? Do you suggest any other things? I know personally for me, it wasn't just that, like I also did acupuncture, Reiki, like everything, <laughs> but, uh, but kind of like what you were talking about earlier, I know there's still things to work on that I have to get to the bottom of because I'm still overeating. So it's like, once I'm able to control that, then I know I've completely healed, but it's like using that lack of control and filling it up with food, you know? So, um, I think that's the last, the last resort because intellectually we know, you know, you eat fewer calories, you exercise. I've done it a million times. Um, but it's like getting to the bottom of it and you know, how to stop gobbling up is the, is my, that's my next challenge. Well, and I think, I mean, A, two things. You could use the EMDR for that. If they haven't already targeted that, you might go back to your provider and ask them because they, that um, actually I have a former colleague down here and pretty much all she works with is um, eating disorder type stuff um, with the EMDR. That's her specialty or people that are going to get the gastric bypass or whatever. Um, she does EMDR with them. So you can use the EMDR for that. So that's one thing. The other thing is, is I would, um, if you haven't done so already, you know, rule out any kind of like health reasons. I was actually listening to um, another podcast that I listened to the other day and they said something really interesting that I never thought of. So our body craves the things that we're missing, right? So if you're missing, um, if you're missing key nutrients, you are going to crave them and your body is not going to send those satiety, what do they call it? Satiety signals that you're full. So you'll never get full. And oh I was gosh. talking to, um, somebody that I, you know, know personally, like a family member and they have a, um, it's basically like a, um, gene disorder where, if you have like a mutation of this gene, it's the MDHFR gene is what they call it, but it stands for something big old long. So if you have a mutation of this, your body doesn't absorb nutrients properly, right? And so I, they were telling me a long time ago that they always have problems with not being able to feel full. Like they, they're constantly like binging and, and not feeling full. And so I heard this on the podcast the other day and I called him up. I'm like, hey, you need to check into this because you know, if you're not absorbing the nutrients, then you're constantly going to be craving the food. And you, you have this condition that prevents you from absorbing nutrients. And so wow. sometimes you have to look at stuff like that, which is why I want to go back to school, right. And get the medical side of this, like tightened up, because I think that there's a lot of overlap between mental and physical health. And what we try to do in Western society is separate the mind from the body yeah. and that causes Why? a lot of dysfunction because it's more that? convenient it's <laughs> convenient you know and we like we like fast fixes so you know and the other thing Mo, you have mentioned in the past that you have ADD and that the overeating does tend to go along with conditions like ADD ADHD bipolar disorder um, because those conditions are characterized by impairment in the area of your brain that deals with like executive functioning and decision making mm -hmm. and stuff like that and so you don't have the impulse control so then the food nope. just goes yeah I, I was gonna say i definitely do get full and i'll just wait it out you know and get go again <laughs> and i know it's a control thing and something you know to to work on but yeah i'll look into it. like this thing is like you said all of these all of the, everybody's quitting or or they're stop take they stop taking insurance and so it's just so hard to find anybody especially doing emdr yeah yeah it is hard and you know i mean i, I just i wish we had more access to mental health in our country mm. I and mean, that's the problem you know i had a, a lady i was seeing and i found out she had a seven thousand dollar deductible so oh it's my like her God. insurance is not going to kick in until how in the world right and i mean we're talking like single mom working two jobs barely getting by how is she supposed to come up with seven thousand dollars worth of out-of-pocket expenses oh that's ridiculous what's the point of even terrible. having it god because you well, can't just be a robot the lack of value that shows the exactly. lack of value 
So wait, EMDR does that? Is that just a way of bringing up buried trauma? I don't know. This. It's like sleep. Is like this what subconscious. Prince William did or Prince Harry did? He oh, did he that. did something. He was doing that. Yeah, girl, Google him. He did some kind of uh, therapy, and Oprah was there, maybe or somebody. I don't remember. Oh, that tapping. I don't know what that is. Yeah, it was tapping and your chakras. I'm thinking that's chakra. I'm, I'm about the chakras. I'm learning about that. So I was asking Monique, I was like, okay, back to the EMDR. Um, Cause I just got a referral for a new therapist. Cause there's been a lot of changes like Mo was saying. Um, so with that type of therapy, does that just bring up buried things? Like things maybe you, you weren't aware of or what, what's the purpose or what do you, what's the goal to it? What are you trying to get to with EMDR? Oh, that's a whole new thing. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it does. It brings up, um, past stuff. I mean, it can be buried stuff or it can be stuff you're well aware of. Oh, okay. Um, what it does is it's hard to break this down quickly. Sorry. Um, I know we're, no, I know we're running short on time. So I want to make yeah. this as concise as possible. All right. Um, quick and dirty. So basically <laughs> what we have in EMDR, what we call TICES, like, cause people in the mental health field love acronyms, right? So T I C E S. Um, so the T is for target. We have a target memory that we're working on and there's this whole process to how we get there mo you probably remember like float back that sort of thing at the beginning of it right <laughs> so you decide what your target is that you want to work on now your target could be past stuff or it could be present stuff so sometimes the target will be like okay i got in this car accident in 2012 that is the we're going to start there um sometimes it could be a present thing like oh my gosh, you know, like my husband, and I keep having the same fight over and over again. I don't know what it is, right? You know, why do we keep having the same fight? Okay, so it's a present thing. And then the next thing's the I, the images. So what image comes to mind when you think about that target? Um, the C is cognitions. So, you know, when you're talking about end state, right? We have cognitions about ourselves that are tied to this situation. And those cognitions are normally negative. So it's a negative thought about ourselves, Like I'm helpless, I'm weak, I'm whatever, you know, I'm stupid and you know, these sorts of things. And so the end goal is to take that negative thought about yourself that's connected to this situation and replace it with a positive thought about yourself. So I am perfectly capable of keeping my kids safe, right? That would be yours. So, you know, something like that. And then you have your emotions. So the emotions that are tied to this situation. And then the last is sensation. So it's actual bodily, bodily sensations, right? Because in our body, we will notice that there's certain feelings that we feel in every uncomfortable situation. Like for me, I always feel it right here. So mm. if something, if I got a feeling right there, I'm like, there's something about this situation that I need to take a deeper look at. I need to ask more questions or I need yeah. to figure out what's going on with me or something, you know? And so what EMDR does is utilizing different techniques. So Mo is talking about having um, pulsers um, that you can hold on to. Uh, sometimes people tap on the leg. Um, you can literally like the way that we're trained is to wave our fingers back and forth in front of somebody's eyes. And so what that does is it mimics uh, REM sleep you know, when our eyes move back and forth, mm -hmm. I cheat, I have a light bar. And so <laughs> oh, you're telling us and about that. Back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. And then it also has the connections for the pulsers like Mo was using. And then it's also got headphones, which I haven't used yet, but they can do a sound one where it's like, ding, ding. Yeah. Ding. I've had, I had it all. Like they do it all. The, the headphones yeah. and my <laughs> thing and the thing on my thighs and in my hand. <laughs> They had to bring out the big guns for me. Dang. Uh, yeah, I've never done all of them at once. I have found certain things. Like I have some clients that have migraines and stuff. So the light kind of bothers them after a while. Yeah. So I would just have them do the pulsers and then close their eyes. I've also noticed if you're easily distracted, the pulsers work a little bit better because if your eyes are open and you're looking at the light sometimes and you're easily distracted like me, um, it's... It's oh, better sometimes to just have your eyes closed and be able to focus. Yeah, definitely. And then also it's uncomfortable because the, the therapist is sitting like, they call it ships in the night. So you're sitting like sideways from, you know, each other, but they're still sitting right there. Yeah. So like sometimes it feels awkward because we don't say much. We just say, oh, okay, go with that. Or what do you notice? <laughs> 
And so especially my clients, you know, people who have had EMDR before know what to expect. Um, my clients that I've been seeing for a long time and then I switch them to EMDR, it's awkward for them sometimes because they expect me to talk more because I talk a lot. And so they're like, aren't you going to say something? I'm like, nope, just go with that. And you're like, okay. You know, so <laughs> they have a hard time with it sometimes, but I, I kind of like it because for clients that don't want to talk a lot, um, it's, it's helpful sometimes because they're not really, they don't really have to, a lot of the processing goes on in your mind. So, yeah, it was funny. Like you were saying, uh, people can't focus or can't relax. And, uh, for me, sometimes I would like, they would, I would go out into, you know, the process where they sent, they tell me to think about something or, and then I would come back and they would be like, what came up? And I'm like, uh, nothing. I was like zoned out. Like, you know, like it's not always, <laughs> I mean, you are who you are, so, but you just keep doing it. And yeah, things click. It doesn't make sense at the time. It just, it does seem ridiculous at the time, but when it clicks, it clicks. It does. And a lot of times, you know, so that's why we have the different, you know, we've got the, the cognitions and we've got the sensations, right? So a lot of times what we'll do, you know, people will say, well, I'm not noticing anything. You know, what are you noticing right now? And they're like, they have no thoughts in their mind. They're a blank slate or whatever. So I'll say, okay, well, then you scan your body, you know, do you notice any discomfort in your body? And they're like, ah, my hip's kind of hurting. Okay, well, go with that. Think about your hip. And people are like, all right, my head hurts or I'm hungry or whatever. Okay, well, just go with that, you know? So, but you'd be surprised what comes out, what is stored in your body and it comes out. And then also you, you see things move through people's bodies. So a lot of times, you know, the discomfort will move from their chest down to their stomach during the course of a session, you know? So things like that, it's, it's really, really super interesting. Cool. Yeah. But once you have that awareness too, you'll be going through life and it's like, okay, so, you know, I kept, I had this weird pain in my back last night. I kept thinking, I'm like, what is going on with this pain in my back? And I was focusing on it. And all of a sudden I kept thinking about this client and I'm like, the heck like you know and then I'm like oh, I just want to go to sleep why am I thinking about this and I was trying to figure something out about this this client and for whatever reason every time I think about this back I think about it like her face comes to mind I'm like okay so what's that about you know so you guys sit there and figure that out she's a pain in your back is that what you're saying <laughs> not, not per se but you know it's it's but it's figuring those things out when you develop that awareness the mind body connection you know and I use that a lot with my yoga because Emily is this yoga teacher um you know <laughs> A no. lot of times if um, somebody, you know, if I can't balance or something, I'll be thinking about somebody who's on my poop list or whatever. Right. And so I'll release them and all of a sudden I can balance, you know, or uh. um, I'll have, you know, tightness in my hips or something going to pigeon pose and I'll just, you know, breathe it all out. And a lot of times, a lot of negative thoughts will come out about a situation or whatever. And I'll just sit there until it's all gone and get deeper in your pose. Yeah. 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 But that's where that, um, you know, talking about treatment of PTSD, you know, that's where things like yoga can be super beneficial because it helps you to kind of be, have more awareness and get in tune with that. Yeah. I was on a roll. Like it, I was doing so well and then pandemic came and I, I wasn't at a good point to where I was going to be like, yeah, res resilient and just do it. I tried to do it myself a few times on Zoom and stuff like that, and it didn't last. But I did have a question about Zoom. I know we're wrapping up. Is it possible to do EDMR on Zoom? I don't. I mean, I think there are practitioners doing it. I cannot figure out how I would do it. Yeah, that's what I was curious about. I think from a logistical perspective, you could in the sense that, yes, I could in theory put my light bar in front of the camera and have the client go back and forth. My concern with it, and this is simply my, like who I am as a, mm -hmm. as a clinician, I feel people in, in the room. And so I don't like the idea of doing EMDR, not being able to feel like what my client's going through because EMDR mm -hmm. can take you to some pretty intense places sometimes. So I don't like the idea of doing that and then just having them be in their home. Um, you know, yeah. one of the last things that you do at the end of every EMDR session is some kind of like grounding technique. You check in with your client, you make sure that they're okay and you get them into a good state. You don't just send them out into the world. And I feel yeah. like I would have concerns with doing that. Just, I mean, we just had a technology issue right now while we are filming the show, right? So <laughs> what happens when there's a glitch and I can't get them back online and I've just opened Pandora's box. I don't like that. Yeah, so, that's so smart. That's scary. Um, yeah. And I did have somebody, 
one of the insurance companies referred somebody to me for EMDR therapy and they want to do it. They want to do telehealth. And I said, I, I won't do that. And they're like, well, I've done it before. And I said, not with me though. Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, <laughs> talk good. to your old therapist. That's great. I'm glad they found a way to work that out. But just for me personally, it's, it's a risk I wouldn't want to take on. I don't feel like I could provide the service fully and adequately the way that it needs to be done, the way the protocol was intended. So makes sense. Any, any final <laughs> words? No, you know, the biggest thing I, I would say, you know, for anybody who's struggling, you know, one of the things that I recommend is find yourself a hobby that forces <laughs> get a hobby. Completely. <laughs> yes. But find a hobby. I mean, I think it's good to have a variety of hobbies, but you definitely mm. need a hobby that forces your mind to focus on one thing. So for me, when I was training martial arts, jujitsu was that, and it was, it allowed me to shut my brain off. And I think that that's a good skill to have when you do have a lot of trauma and you are easily triggered. It is good to have the ability to calm yourself and regulate. Um, So since we're not doing that anymore, I recently picked up playing the guitar. I'm horrible at it. Like I suck. I'm I'm beyond awful musician, (laughs) Um, but your daughter's like, yeah, it's bad. (laughs) Like it hurts my ears. I know. And I I bought a guitar and like my guitar teacher picked it up the other day. He was tuning it for me. He's like, you know, you did good. This, this guitar really does have such a nice sound to it. And I said, yeah, when you play it, (laughs) (laughs) the mind body connection of having to find the finger placement on the cords and stuff and having to remember where to move my fingers for songs for chords and learning those things. I really tune out everything else because I'm really just yeah. focused on that. And so even if I only practice like 15 minutes a day, that's 15 minutes a day of meditation mm-hmm. and it's meditation awesome. with music that I love. Like I love music. And so mm-hmm. to be able to play these things um, and also it gives me a different awareness because when I hear the songs on the radio or whatever now, I'm like, oh yeah, that's the chords, you know, so I, I'm automatically thinking about something. That's where that connection comes from. So that's, it's, I don't know it's something that I would recommend. Yeah. Everybody needs to find their thing. Right? It looks like everything is always taking us back to mindfulness. That's the that's the Yeah. piece of piece of life, peace of mind. Mhm. Absolutely. It's work though. It takes work for sure. It does. It does take work, but it takes less work the more you practice just like anything else in life. So, okay, well, thank you for having me on. Yeah. Thank you for coming back. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye. 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 You too. <laughs> Thank you.